Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We trust the process. Trust the process. <laughs> We are here. There is a seismic level of events happening in the world of footy. I am constantly in a shroud of ignorance when it comes to all things soccer, football related. So we'd love to talk about it on the show, but neither myself nor Wyatt are able to, are apt to the level of what's happening right now. So we've reached out. We've got ourselves an expert Mike Halford of Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650 is here joining us, an avid footy fan. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm all right. Thank you for referring to me as an expert. I've never been classified as an expert in any field before. This is huge. This is the TTP bump that I've been waiting for my whole career. I'm excited. Compared to me, you are a scientist when it comes to soccer. Yeah, my PhD. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, multiple times over the course of our conversation, I might ask you to explain something to me like I'm five. So I could do that. Okay, let's go. Footy, go. All right. So obviously the biggest thing that's happened in the last week and in the last, I don't know, decade or more for Canadian soccer is the current run of the Canadian men's soccer team in CONCACAF as they're looking to qualify for the World Cup. They currently, as of the results the other day, sit at the top of the table, which to my understanding is a fancy word for standings. Am I correct? Very well done. Yes! They also call their friends mates sometimes. Uh Oh, okay. Mates. (laughs) It's an educational show. All right. Fantastic. So obviously the huge game in Edmonton the other day, they beat Mexico. Fella took a dive into the snowbank. It was wonderful. Even non-footy people like myself, it crossed over. Couldn't help. My timeline was just swamped with that. It's very exciting as, you know, a proud Canadian. Uh, as a soccer fan, what did that mean to you to see that win the other night and also where they are at the world stage right now? 
Yeah, it's like really, really unprecedented. I don't think we can understate that or overstate that or state it. Uh, it it's just, it's never happened before. Uh, put it this way, going into this World Cup qualification cycle, uh, the best Canada would ever done is like kind of keep it close against Mexico. And that didn't matter where the game was played. Like if it was in Canada, you kind of want to keep it close. And if it's at Azteca, you really want to kind of keep it close knowing that you're probably not going to be able to. The idea that they would take four of a possible six points off the Mexicans was unheard of. It's a, and quite frankly, that's not for Canada either. Like to give you an idea of how dominant Mexico has been in CONCACAF, they haven't missed the World Cup in, I think it's the last five or six. It is just punch our ticket at the beginning, we're going to the point where they set their sights well beyond getting to the World Cup. Their big internal debate over the last eight or 10 years was, is the region so weak that when we get to the World Cup, we're not adequately prepared because we're blowing teams like Canada out of the water on the regular. So this was never an option. And then to do what they did and engage in these, I've used the term CONCACAF dark arts. Let me explain that to you. CONCACAF is the region in which they play. The dark arts are the things that go on beyond the match, like simulating injuries to get your coach a free timeout, which Canada does every match now. Um, and also engaging in very subtle things to throw the opponent off their game. Now, in this case, it wasn't subtle. They're like, we're going to put Mexicans and Costa Ricans in Edmonton in November where it's cold and snowing. There wasn't much subtlety to it, but the fact that Canada pulled it off and it kind of, they played the game, right? Like that's how, that's how CONCACAF works is you go to Mexico and you're playing it 20,000 feet above sea level and fans are throwing bags of piss at you and for some reason the fire alarm at your hotel and your hotel only goes off every hour on the hour Canada played the game and won it amazingly they won it which is so crazy to think about because I've been watching this and doing this for the better part of like 28 29 30 years it's never even been in the conversation to try and fuck around and find out. Like that was not an option. Right. And now it is. And it's great. Like I'm loving every minute of it for even if, like you said, you're not a huge footy guy, but you add in the Canadian patriotism element to it where you get the casual fans that are just like, Hey, Canada. And then it's like, it's great. Right. Everyone is on board. And that's why the number pops so big. I think it was yeah. the, the TV audience was over 1.3. I think collectively with streaming and everything, the numbers were just like out of this world good. So kudos to everyone, man. It was like that couldn't have gone any better than it did for Canada, Canada soccer, John Herdman, everybody. Yeah, that's exactly where I come in as the the nationalist, the go Canada, and it's been tough to throw my support behind anything men's soccer related because, yeah, to your point, it's always been they've never like been in any World Cups or anything. They're barely in the FIFA games when I was a kid. So now uh, the frozen the, the bags of piss in Mexico is that that's happened. People that's old. That? That's okay. That's really old lore. Uh, okay. Do you remember okay. Soccer Saturday with Graham Leggett? Do you remember that show? It was on TSN. Uh, he once told a story that um, players in Azteca, this is back before it had kind of been refurbished and everything, that he, he had witnessed, I think it was Graham like anyway, but he had witnessed uh, the players in needing hydration during the match were getting thrown bags of water onto the field right. and they'd sort of crush the bag and drink it. And then he noticed that some of the bags weren't being used, to which the anecdote then went, well, yeah, th th those weren't bags of water. Those were angry uh, Azteca fans throwing bags of piss onto the field 
So that's been a long-standing joke. Whenever you go to Aztecas, you have to deal with the fans, the crowd, the energy, the atmospheric levels above sea level, and the urine. Right, and of course, the urine. And hell, if you do that in Canada in Edmonton in November, uh, that's assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah, throwing a bag of frozen hundred percent solid. Yeah, it's not now good. how how was Canada able to leverage the Concacaf dark arts and have games played in Edmonton in November? Like, why haven't they just been doing that this entire time? Why this time? Well, I mean, this was the point where uh, weather really became a factor. When you looked at the schedule, so basically, what happens is every month or two months. Uh, club football takes a break and everyone goes to their native country and there's the international break. So we've seen a few of them. Um, the ones that were played at BMO earlier where they beat Honduras and Panama and the temperatures were never going to play a huge factor then. Cause it was like September. And then, um, they kind of, we joked when we saw Canada qualify for the Octo, we joked on the show, they should absolutely go to Fort McMurray. In November and January. <laughs> and then they kind of did it. And I was like, wow, yeah. like I can't believe they're pulling this off. Now, uh, Herdman, there was a precedent here. So when Herdman coached <clears throat> the women's team, when the World Cup was in Canada, they opened the tournament in at Commonwealth. And they had like 50,000 supporters. It was all exclusively Canadian. And he loved it. He thought it was like a fortress that you could only get at a handful of places in Canada because it was outdoors uh, the, the capacity was big enough that you could turn it into a huge home field advantage. And then when he realized that you could also throw the weather into the element, he's like, we're going to throw this at the two opponents that we get in November. And <clears throat> given all the other bullshit that other countries routinely get away with in CONCACAF, they had no real leg to stand on to not go there. I mean, it's an adequate facility. Uh, it's, I mean, the turf looked bad on television, but... According to everyone that I spoke to that was there, it wasn't nearly as bad in real life. Hashtag right. IRL. It was not good, but it didn't look like the burnt, scorched earth that you saw on TV. So everything about the stadium was fine. It was yeah. just miserably cold. And the snow, they obviously caught a huge break there. Because aside from making it look really picturesque and giving this sort of like, we've just brought these guys up from Central America on a plane and they're freezing the Canadian guys, like you said, like diving into the snow, embracing it, not wearing sleeves. It just, it all made for everything that they wanted. Like it couldn't have gone better yeah. for Canada. There's Aside from maybe shutting out the Mexicans, it could not have gone better. It was like the storybook ending that you write and then somehow it actually comes true. So that was really great. The game also seemed like a uh, a good old Canadian game of soccer. There was some rough stuff, some pushing and shoving, and a lot of that uh, going on as well, which I thought was super interesting. You don't see that in soccer a ton. Right. They, they made a concerted effort to do that. Um, the idea was, um, like, cause they, they, people brought up good points. Like, Canada has enough skilled players and speedy guys that um, the field wasn't going to help them at all. Like, it yeah. wasn't going to make them play a proper game where they kept possession and knocked it around and used the pace because the field was like frozen concrete. But what they did was they said, how can we make this as chaotic as humanly possible and make this so miserable that we are not happy, but less miserable than our opponent, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And what they did was um, you talked about the fouling. The goal was instead of trying to defend an attack, let's hack the shit out of them before they can start to attack, right? It's kind of the Connor McDavid defense theory. It's like, don't yeah. let him get started. Just try and draw a penalty before he gets going. And um, the the big the hit, the hit that you're talking about was Daniil Henry 
on having Lozano in the, the the first few minutes of the Mexican game. Like, I swear to God, I thought Lozano was dead. When he got, I was like, that guy is not getting up from that. He just got laid out. And in a weird way, because Daniil Henry, I don't know how much you watched the match, but he was terrible in the match. He actually had to take off in the 37th minute with a quote-unquote injury. But yeah. he was, like, his injury was being bad at soccer at that point. Like, he was not good. So I think that Herdman consciously had him in there to be super aggressive and rack up a lot of fouls early just to further set that tone. Like the goal for that whole thing with Mexico was how can we make this as miserable for Mexico as possible? And then they ticked like all the miserable boxes right after that. So what's next for Canada then uh, in the World Cup qualifying? Because they're sitting at the top of the table uh, and I think a 93 or 96% chance to make it to the World Cup. Well, they're the only team that hasn't lost a game yet. Four draws, four wins. It's remarkable that of all the teams in there, I mean, the Mexicans lost twice in this most recent window. They lost in the U.S. Uh, when they played in Cincinnati, and then they came up and lost uh, in in Edmonton. And that just set the entire uh, media contingent and program just into like a spiral. Like they had no idea. I can't remember the last time Mexico has been third in qualifying this deep into it. Like they are usually one or two. They're playing in just the, the jewels of North America, Cincinnati, Ohio. Pride of the U.S. and right. Edmonton, like, Alberta. Like, okay, so you want to talk about, like, the dark arts. Like, they consciously picked Cincinnati because I think it's got one of the lowest per capita Latin populations of all the major American cities that had a, a an ad. Like, this is what goes into it, right? They yeah. want to make sure that there's no advantage whatsoever for the opposition. You have everything going for you, even if it's super petty and minute. So what's coming up for Canada? Um, the Jan... The January 30th match is the one ever. They got three matches coming up. They're going to have to do two tough trips into Central America. But the big one that everyone's talking about is the January 30th home match against the U.S. Now, it was originally reported, like J.J. and and Blake Price threw it out there, that it sounded like Vancouver was going to get that match. And it still sounds like the CSA, the Canadian Soccer Association, wants it because the gate revenue would be huge. That's yeah. 55000 very equivalent to what they got at Commonwealth. And, you know, coming out of a pandemic, money matters. It counts. But the impression I've gotten talking to different people is that the players want to be outdoors and not on turf, so on grass, which is going to be tough to find in January. And Herdman just flat out doesn't want to commit to any place until the last minute so he doesn't give the Americans a chance to come up with logistics for travel set up camp like if they set up camp in seattle it's a really easy hop skip and jump right they can do their little mini camp and then come up here so there's about eight different things at play but now i'm hearing like um the uh, tim hortons field in hamilton is in the mix bmo's back in the mix there was a crazy report uh that they might try and bring grass into the big o in montreal to tra- like every everything seems like it's back on the table which is bad for vancouver because that means it's like four or five different bids for it now as opposed to maybe one or two. So that's what we're going to be looking for on the show anyway the, na- the next you know six, eight weeks is when are they going to have an announcement? Can we get one of these games in Vancouver? Because it would be awesome, especially against the U.S. And then if not, why and where are they going to play that game? 
All right. Speaking of Vancouver, moving a bit more locally, other big news that happened in the last couple of weeks, the Vancouver Whitecaps on the last day of the MLS season qualified for the playoffs after what I was understood is a very, very difficult start to the season. So they're in the playoffs. Uh, there's a two-week break between the end of the season and the start of the playoffs. Is that correct? Yeah, they love to give the guys a bunch of time off to accumulate rust. Uh, they, okay, their unfortunate thing is they the uh, international break I was just talking about, um, that doesn't get moved. FIFA reigns supreme, so they tell you when the international breaks are and you work around that accordingly. Unfortunately for MLS, theirs coincided with the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs. So it's not ideal at all that this Whitecaps team, which literally two weeks ago, had this storybook finish at home. I was there at BC Place for that last game where they drew Seattle and got into the playoffs. The largest attended sporting event since the pandemic. People are excited. And then the league goes, okay, tap the brakes on that for 14 days. Uh, We're not having any playoff games until November 20th. So that was a bit of a a downer. Um, They can't do anything about it, unfortunately. I wish Mm -hmm. that they would rejig their schedule so this wasn't a thing. Because people were like, oh my god, I forgot. The Whitecaps are in the playoffs. Like That's happening tomorrow at Sporting KC. So it is a bit of an issue for sure. So MLS playoffs, is it uh, one match? Is it a series? How are they doing it? Yeah, they used to be home and away legs. If you recall that infamous um, nil-nil draw that the Whitecaps had against the Sounders in 20... Oh, yeah. The the most hyped and then worst payoff ever in professional sports history in Vancouver. Uh, we still get people to this day like writing into the show being like, I listened to you guys. You told me to go to the Whitecaps match <laughs> against against the Sounders so many years ago, and it was the worst event, not even sporting event, just worst event they'd ever been to. So, yeah, now it's all one leg, uh, winner takes all, all the way through to the playoffs. They've kind of gotten away from the traditional European format of you got to do home and away. They're just like one game, winner takes all. So it does really bode nicely for like a, a, a an underdog and a team that comes in on a bit of a heater like the Whitecaps. Like if they can keep their momentum going, the two-week break notwithstanding, uh, they could just honestly just rattle off a series of results and then lo and behold, you've made a playoff run. Yeah, and their coach has become quite the beloved figure in the city. Uh, I believe he got extended uh, recently with his not contract. officially, not officially, oh, not officially, not officially. It's been reported by a couple outlets that he's agreed to it without it being on paper, the old handshake and a wink and a finger gun, but um, not officially. So yeah, Vanny, but Vanny Sartini is the manager. He's super interesting character. Like prior to this, had never coached like a full on individual head manager as any at any significant level. Uh, replicating the professional level. So this is completely out of left field. He worked with DeSantos before DeSantos got fired. And he was actually the under the Whitecaps under 23 coach and sort of like the technical director for the club. Um, to be honest, I think they put him in there because it was the easiest thing to do at the time. Right. Like, you know, not unlike like if Travis Green ever gets fired, you just kind of shuffle Bradshaw over one chair and he goes from being the associate head coach to the head coach. That's kind of what they did here. But for him to completely reinvent how they played and the energy, like he's the he's done so many things different from DeSantos, which is weird because he worked underneath him. But yeah. I guess he had his own thoughts and views about the way he wanted to attack it, formations that he wanted to use, players that he wanted to put in different positions. And then you mentioned like he's like the Ted Lasso of Vancouver or the Roberto Benini to go way back in the archives where he's very demonstrative and he's very theatrical and he has these crazy passionate speeches and the guys 
love it. And it's crazy because if he wasn't winning, like he'd probably get laughed at because it's very, very, yeah, it's very Italian is what it is. And it's like, it's, it can be completely over the top to the point where you wonder if it's an act, but the guys have really gravitated towards it. And the results are there. Like that's the great thing about the great equalizer in sports is like, if you win, no one really cares how you do it. As long as you're not hurting anyone. And he's not, he's just completely unorthodox, but it's really worked and people do love him. And as like a very lapsed casual, it's drawing me back in. I'm interested in this and interested in the coach and what the Whitecaps are doing. So it's working on all levels. Uh, So they play Sporting KC. That's the big showdown. Yes, Saturday, 2 o'clock from Children's Mercy Park. That's the name of a children's hospital. The field is not actually brought to you by the mercy of children. I just (laughs) want to make that abundantly clear for the listeners. Yeah, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Um, I, they've, they beat Sporting KC once already this year. It was at BC place. It's always tough to go on the road like any, anywhere else. Uh, but I'm really intrigued by this because they literally have nothing to lose. Like making the playoffs was such an accomplishment and so unrealistic a few months ago that they're either going to get absolutely demolished because (laughs) they're going to go in and not have any stakes or they're going to play so carefree that they're going to pull a stunner. Like that's the only two ways I see this going. Now, the other big thing happening in soccer right now, the Champions League is coming back next week. Uh, who's the favorite in the Champions League? Betting favorites are Man City and Bayern. Uh, and the only reason they are is because they, they're pretty much the favorites going into the tournament as well. Uh, Chelsea was also there as well as the defending champ. But nothing's really fundamentally changed of because the group stages are still... There hasn't been any significant knockouts yet. So what you're looking at is what teams have the depth of squad and quality to push through really late in a tournament. Because that's what it is, right? It's like you've got an incredibly busy league schedule. You've got your domestic cups, which all these teams kind of take seriously and kind of don't. You've got a series of international breaks, which is all really condensed now because of COVID pushed the calendar back so far. So what you're looking at is, I mean, it sucks that it comes down to this, but who are the richest clubs that have the ability to spend the most, to have depth of squad that can roll out different lineups for Champions League on a Wednesday and then Domestic League on a Saturday. And right now, that's Bayern in Germany because they're so dominant and they can kind of take their foot off the gas with the German Domestic League occasionally. City because they've got copious amounts of oil money and can buy whatever they need to buy when another transfer window opens up. So those are the ones that you're looking at now. As we get further along in the tournament, and inevitably some big names will fall, you'll see those odds move. But right now, I would say City... Bayern, and then the third would be Chelsea just because of the defending champions. Now, I've done dart throws before in Premier League when picking my team, and now I'm a devout fan of Wolverhampton, I guess. Yeah, we've talked Uh, about this before. That is a super random poll, by the way, but I respect it immensely. So I've decided my dart throw in my uh, for for Champions League, uh, I'm into Sheriff, I've decided. Oh, yes. Tell (laughs) me about Sheriff. And please validate my pick that these are my boys. Okay, so it's yeah, I've got to say I want to make sure I got the right country. It's Moldova, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, all yeah, there's a bunch of really weird super clubs that have emerged from the post-Soviet Union and all the independent countries that gain their independence and sovereignty. Uh, and then what generally tends to happen is. Uh, there will be a large financial backer, usually off the strength of oil money or some other natural resource where there's absolute copious gobs of money. And if you go look at Sheriff's roster, 
It's like the United Colors of Benetton. Like every flag in the world is represented because I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Moldova not teaming with uh, a ton of soccer talent. So you have to go elsewhere. The only way you can go elsewhere is if you have the money to buy. And the only way they have money to buy is if you're a huge backer. So they're the biggest club by a long shot. And they've pulled, like, so yeah, you should honestly, when you get off and you're done with this, go look at their roster because they buy guys from everywhere, like really small European countries. I think they have a guy from Luxembourg, uh, all sorts of African countries. They've gone and bought players and they've pulled off a couple really crazy results. The one against Real, I think that's probably the one that uh, is most famous, but they are, they're interesting. Usually these clubs have a result or two early where they catch someone off guard and they've got enough quality to squeak a result. But over the course of the long term, they're not going to be able to compete just because they're not good enough. But it's an interesting pick. They also have cool cool logo and cool uniforms. Yeah, well, that's kind of what draws the name, logo, uniforms. Yeah, it get, kind of what, it's like a badge, like an old cowboy badge. It's pretty cool. Who's your uh, Champions League team? Who's your Who's your squad? Um, I mean, I'm a lead supporter, and the only way they're going to Champions League is if they buy a bunch of tickets collectively. So that's not <laughs> that's not really an option. Um, I like I like watching all the uh, English teams play, if only because they're the ones that I follow the closest. And I've been like, I it's hard not to be enamored with the way that Liverpool plays, right? With Salah and Firmino and Mane and Jota, like they they're so good in attack, and they're so much fun to watch that. Like the, the the it's funny because the Champions League final last year was City and Chelsea. Uh, it's great that these two big English clubs were there, but it was really crafty and really boring at times. Like Liverpool goes and plays, and they go and attack, and they try and score goals, and they're dynamic and they attack. That's what I like to see. Right? Like I don't want to watch ninety minutes of tactical defending and stout, resolute tackling in the middle of the park. I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you go open wide for some soccer. I want like I want <laughs> flamethrowers and goals and everything. So I would I mean Liverpool advancing is good for the entertainment of the game. Right on. Cool. All right. So yeah, huge things happening in the world of footy. I want to thank you, uh, Professor Halfer, for coming in and You're most uh, welcome. Breaking it down for me and for the TTP listeners. Uh, Mike Halford can be heard every Monday to Friday, six AM to nine AM on Sportsnet six fifty, Halford and Bruff. Uh, I wish you all the best uh, with your uh, footy watching thank and you. your footy playing. And uh, we'll bring you back on soon and you can help us break down uh, how the Whitecaps were able to run the table and win the MLS championship. And if that doesn't happen, we'll do it again in January when Canada's back in World Cup qualifying. Sounds good. Thank you very much, sir. Football is football no matter where you play it. You got grass, you got cleats, and you got helmets with masks on them. Anytime is a good time for the swear word party. You know what I mean? We trust the process.